0: You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. at 3:30 South Market Street. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now, here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Highen. We are going to talk about focusing on the eternal. So, one of the secrets to life is to focus on what is eternal. We have a video clip that we want. You show to introduce the topic.
1: You will be tested by the fire of your own passions. You will be tempted beyond the limits of your own endurance. you will be betrayed by the deception of your own heart. Your gold and silver will corrode. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But there is another kind of treasure, one not of this earth. And if you wish to find it, you must first journey from the grave to grace. old self must die so that you might be raised from the dead. Lose yourself for my sake, and you will have treasures in heaven.
0: To talk about the eternal, but we also want to talk about the practical and your finances and treasure in heaven as opposed to accumulating treasure today. Haddon Robinson was a great preacher who uh, wrote many articles, books, and taught many godly pastors how to preach. And he said that wealth is dangerous. For every verse in the Bible that tells us the benefits of wealth, there are 10 that tell us the danger of wealth. And wealth is the one thing, or one of the things that can get in the way of our relationship with Christ. We can hang on to it. We can pursue it. We can put money and our love of money and our chasing after money before God. I mean, on the other hand, every Christian needs money to pay the bills and to move forward. So it's not about money itself. It's about, is your heart tuned into the money more than God? Is your desire to find security in riches more than Christ and his righteousness. The Bible talks a lot about the eternal. And eternal life isn't this thing that we get later. It's like, okay, when I die, then I get eternal life. But when we have come into a right relationship with Christ, ask Christ to forgive us of our sins and to save us, and to come into our life when we, be true, when we become truly born again, then from that time on, we have eternal life. So if you have Christ in your life, you have eternal life today. And that should make a difference in the way that you make your choices, in the priorities that you have for your life, and the things that you do. The Bible talks a lot about eternal life. John 3.16 says that we receive eternal life. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes upon Him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.36 says, anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remain under God's angry judgment. John 17.3 says, This is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. The Bible talks a lot about eternal life. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins. They have already passed from death to life. I like that, passed from death to life. You know, death is a strange thing to be able to pray with people, minister to people that know they're going to die, those people that sometimes it seems like a curse of sickness, of terminal illness, but the blessing in that is if you know your days are numbered and you know that you're about to die, you can, you can talk to people, make amends, set things straight, get your affairs in order, and it can be a great blessing for all those people who are left behind that have a chance to say goodbye. The greatest blessing for you and me would be doing all sorts of great things and then die suddenly. Your house might not be in order. Your finances might not be in order. Your spouse may have no clue to the passwords or anything else. So I wrote a little letter before you guys sent me on that missions trip to South America. I didn't really show it to my wife. It would suck it in the safety deposit box. And it said, if I die, and then had like a list of everything that uh, my wife would need to know. I should probably should update that because anybody can die at any time. Um, to die suddenly and then go and be in the presence of Jesus is great for you. But sometimes it's really hard for the people that are left behind that are there, that didn't have a chance to say goodbye or seek forgiveness or all of those things. I think sometimes that crossing the door from death to life is kind of like ending a lease. So if you've ever been able to lease a car, I can only imagine because I've never leased a car actually. But when you're done with a lease and then you bring it back and then you get a new vehicle, I actually never leased a car before, but I can imagine that that would be really great. Actually, if I had enough money, I'd probably just lease a car, and every two years, I'd give it back and get a new one, and make sure that everything was new, fully warranted, didn't have to do anything but make the payment and put the gas in. That might be convenient. I don't know if it's a good thing to do with your finances, but if you can afford it, it's a great way not to be concerned about car repairs, I guess. Uh, Maybe it's like this. When you're done with the athletic season, football, basketball, or whatever, the season's done, you turn in your uniform, and then you know when the next season comes that you'll get a different uniform, different jersey, uh, whatever. But you cross from, in this life from physical death to new life. You, you basically, your least body, the tent of your body, you bring it back to God and God outfits you with what you need for eternal life if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is the eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And I quoted from this uh, last week or the week before. I really loved this verse. And actually, that's what got me thinking about the whole eternal life thing. But this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Eternal life is a big deal. Jesus wanted us to know we had eternal life because if we know we have eternal life, and eternal life is what we have in our future, then that's going to make a difference in how we live today. If you look at all these verses and think about, I have eternal life. Eternal life is free. Eternal life is available through Jesus. Then that should motivate you to tell other people about Jesus, to be able to lead them effectively into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. I know a lot of you get confused and say, I don't know what I would say. I don't know how to start the conversation." and even having something like a, a gospel booklet in the back of your, a tract in the back of your pocket, ready to share, uh, that you are familiar with, that uh, you can go through the points that are important, is going to help make a difference. And if, they, if you read it to them, they listen, they're not ready to respond, you give it to them. And as the Holy Spirit continues to work on their heart, then you, it can help lead them to Christ. And we can help you to get tools like that, those New Testaments in the back, our other Great tools that God can use. So many times I hear people that say, "Uh, this person told me about faith in Christ, shared with me the message about faith in Christ, gave me something to take home, and it was later that I read it, dropped down on my knees, prayed to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior, and He changed my life, and I've never been the same since. What a great thing. So, what are the rewards of focusing on eternal value? If I think to myself, okay, this life isn't all that I get, but I get eternal life, and my eternal life matters, and God is going to reward me for what I've done, then that should make a difference in the choices that I make each day. And like in the video that we saw, uh, we could um, bury our treasure, we could take our talents and our gifts and not use those to build God's kingdom, not use those to serve the Lord. We could take all of our money and pour them into stuff for ourselves, just for ourselves. Now, The Bible's not against you saving money or saving for retirement or those types of things. But if you're focused on it, and that's all you do is take all of your money and hoard it, stash it away, you know, for your future, because that's where you find security, you're going to miss out on eternal rewards. You're going to miss out on what God could do through your resources. It shows that you don't truly trust God with your finances or your life. And when you die, someone else is going to take your money and spend it, or the government's going to take your money if you don't have a good will. But you need to think about, okay, what do I need, and what does God want me to use for His glory? So, um, it's been said, I don't remember who said it, but uh, that we should earn all we can, that we should give all we can, and that we should save all we can. So, uh, it's a good thing to put God first with our finances. So, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was giving a bunch of great life principles for us to follow, for us to live by, and for the people that he was speaking to, to live by. He talked about giving to the needy. He talked about prayer. In there we get the, the Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about fasting. He talks about when we give. And he talks about treasures in heaven. After that, he talks about that we shouldn't worry, uh, that we should put Christ first, that we should seek Him first, His kingdom and His righteousness, and he'll provide everything we need. So that's a great passage for you to read, but let's focus on the storing up treasures here on earth. All right, so Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Uh, Number one, you are rewarded when you focus on eternal value. Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moth eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Uh, I experience... Rust all the time. Seems like everything I buy has a certain amount of rust on it. Seems like, you know, live in Minnesota and things rust easily. So sometimes we can cover up the rust, paint over the rust, treat the rust, replace the panel that's rusted away. But really, rust just rips everything apart. So when you think about that great possession, if it's metal, it's going to rust. And it is. Sad to see it rust. Wouldn't it be great to just be able to keep that old car that you love so much and just know that it was always gonna be there for you, but no, it rusts, it decays. You know, even the plastic cars, like when the Saturn's first came out, they were made like Tupperware. Uh so yeah, that doesn't necessarily rust, but the plastic becomes brittle and it breaks, so everything seems to fall apart. And moths? Moths, they're difficult to get rid of. Moths eat stuff when you're not looking, they leave holes in your clothes. Years ago, We had in our cabinet, in our pantry, this uh, thing of fruit and nuts that we had gotten from a retail store, and it was kind of sitting in the back, and we didn't really think much of it, but uh, somehow that little thing of fruit and nuts became alive with moths, and ever since then, we've struggled to get rid of moths, so, I mean, it just kind of snuck in. I never really experienced a problem with moths like that before, so... Anytime my wife sees a tiny little moth fly by, she goes into full attack mode. So, yeah, we have much less moths than we had after we experienced the fruit and nut thing had uh, brought moths into our our house. It's amazing how they can get in and out too, but moths eat stuff, rust destroy stuff, and worse than that, thieves break in and steal stuff. So, if you've got a lot of stuff, you've always got to be worried about, is somebody going to steal it? Is somebody going to take it? I, um needed different tires for my vehicle, and I was praying about it. And I had conspired and figured out that uh, if I did some horse trading, if I swapped and swapped and swapped, that I could end up with new wheels and new tires for less than new tires. And I prayed about it, because you should commit all your plans to the Lord. So I went online, found someone that had a newer vehicle that was selling their wheels and tires, and I paid cash for those, and I bought those. And then I sold my old wheels to someone else. And I found some better tires, and I bought those used ones. Uh, basically new, and then had those put on, had my old tires and sold those. And By the time it was all said and done, I ended up with brand new wheels and brand new tires, uh, wheels off of a 2017 uh, Suburban uh, for less money than I would have gone to the retail store to buy the tires. So, um, so now they're nice wheels and everybody's telling me, you should get wheel locks on those. But I saw a YouTube video that showed how you can overpower and break those wheel locks off in about 30 seconds if you have the right tool. And if you're about stealing wheels, I'm sure you're gonna have the right tool. So, my old tires, my old wheels, nobody was gonna take them. They're, they're decayed, they're, they're almost bald. It's like, yeah, I don't think anybody's gonna take those. Somebody might take these. And uh, so, do I need to be concerned? Probably not here where I live. Uh, if I was gonna park it in downtown Minneapolis in the middle of the night, maybe. But nonetheless, when you've got stuff, you've gotta be concerned, somebody takes it. So, if you don't have a lot of stuff, then it's like, well, what are they gonna take? What are they gonna steal? There's nothing here to steal. doesn't mean you shouldn't have stuff. It just means that you don't want all your focus to be on your stuff, about somebody stealing stuff, somebody taking stuff. You need to be concerned, yet you need to be kind. So when you sent me on that mission trip to South America, uh, we ended up in the midst of a busy college uh, activity where the freshmen were forced to beg for money to try to buy back most of their clothes. It was kind of a weird thing. But uh, I'm walking along and this lady comes up to me and she's got a little money in her hand and she's like, you dropped this. And I looked at it and I, I thought, no, I didn't. And I thought to myself, you know, I bet she wants me to take my wallet out of my pocket so that they can snatch it and take it. So I decided to be generous and said, well, even if I did, you can have it. And then I said to the guy, Daniel, I said, how much money is that anyway? He said, oh, it's not that much. I'm like, okay. But um, nonetheless, you think about these things when you have something to hold on to. When you don't have much to hold on to, uh, you don't think about it as much. But where is your heart? Where is your heart desire? What are you willing to lose for the cause of Christ? What are you willing to invest for the cause of Christ? What are you willing to give? Don't store up treasures here on earth. So there's people that collect things, and sometimes they, well, do you remember, what was it, the Princess Beanie baby? I think that was one of them. Somebody, oh, I'm going to buy this, and it's going to increase in value so much that this is going to be my retirement account. I don't think so. I know a church uh, not too far away from here that has gathered thousands of Beanie Babies and brought them to Haiti, and people are more than willing to give them up because they're not holding their value. At least, I don't think they are. Beanie Babies. Not a great investment. Uh, Sometimes people buy homes, and it's in their investment. And they think to themselves, here is my security in my house. And my parents bought a house in Colorado in 1980. Had it built. It was an experimental solar home, and it was a great neighborhood, new neighborhood. And 16 years later... Somebody that lived in that area said, I wouldn't walk in that neighborhood during the day because there are so many gangs and violence going on there. So so much for the 30-year mortgage, uh, security, a place to live for the rest of your life. The only true security that you actually find is in Christ. It's not in clothes and cars and jewelry, uh, houses, buildings, furnishings, pleasure, fame, power, uh, your career, uh, property, money, Careers are tough because some people are being replaced in their career by machines. Uh, their, their job that was important is no longer one that's necessary uh, or it's been outsourced or they found someone else to, to do it. Uh, my dad was a professional sign maker and was able to make amazing signs by hand and uh, you know, he still stayed with the company, but found that the computer was basically taking over everything, that uh, young kids could come in, type stuff up on a computer, kick it out of a printer, and do basically the same thing that they used to do skilled people used to do by hand, that had art skills. But you are rewarded when you focus on eternal value. So when we lay up stuff in heaven, it's not just tithing. Tithing is good, Giving money is good, and that is one way. Another way is using your gifts. Another way is serving. Another way is um, being hospitable and investing into people's lives. And you will get reward for that. Jesus says, behold, I'm coming soon and I'll reward everyone according to what they've done. So it's not just you take your cash and send it forward. Oh, I put it in the offering plate so I know it's in an account in heaven. Well, actually, in heaven, what will you need? Uh, What will the form of currency be? What if it's translated from cash to privilege. What if Jesus gives you reward and opportunity and things in heaven because you were faithful here, because you were faithful in the little things, and then God is going to reward you even greater in heaven because you took what you had, the resources that you had, the stuff you had, the cash you had, and you use that to make an eternal difference. Uh, One reason that I uh, am following the Lord today is because someone helped pay for me to go to Bible camp. Uh, my step-grandparents helped pay for me to go to Bible camp over and over again. But First Timothy 6-7 says, We brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So that means whatever we have is going when we die. Uh, the temporary stuff, the, the stuff here on earth is going to stay, and then your relatives or your kids are going to fight over it if you don't have a good will, or people are going to uh, take it for themselves. Uh, Leonard Sweet wrote this book, I think it was Do the Soul Salsa. And he has all these stories about people living generously. Like uh, this couple had an oil well and they were making tons of money. But instead of taking all the money for themselves, they continued to live in their apartment. And then they invited people to come in and tell them why they should donate to their organization or whatever. So people were coming in all the time to talk to this couple about why they should give their money to this and that. And uh, so they were taking the resources God was blessing them with and they were being really faithful using it for God's kingdom, to build God's kingdom, and things like that. And in his book, he says, one of the best things you can do with your finances in your life is to bounce your last check. To be so faithful in giving and using and dispersing your wealth and your stuff that you bounce your last check. Now I would say to be truly righteous, uh, don't bounce the last check. Just make sure that the last check empties the account perfectly. And, um, but what a great way to live, to be that trusting, in God. Now, I know that a lot of people, especially the ones that went through the Depression, are really holding on tight. We're holding on tight to their money because they thought, you know, I need this to live in my old age. It needs to provide for me. So there's lots of people that are dying with a ton of money in the bank, and it's not designated to go anywhere. Uh, when I came here to plant this church many years ago, there was a guy who died and had named a particular Bible college as part of his estate. And so the estate manager, uh, whom I knew said, okay, he wanted this money designated to this Bible college, and you went to this Bible college, so I'm going to give you 10000 of it to help plant your church. So we used to hang on to that $10,000 as a slush fund, so every time we came short with finances, we took a little here, a little there. So it's been gone for a while, but if you wanted to donate towards that, that would be great. 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So focus on the things of the eternal value. Think about, okay, I've got this resource. I'm going to invest it in this. This has kingdom value, eternal value, and God will be blessed. People might be saved as a result of it, and I will receive reward in heaven for this. What a great thing. The only way this church can be here is if you give faithfully. Um, If you don't give faithfully, we can't pay the rent. We can't make it happen. And God sees and God rewards. So, All right, number two, you're rewarded when you focus with eternal vision. All right. So, you have to keep this in context. Jesus is talking about money. So, somehow this whole eye thing uh, ties into money and treasure. So, you're rewarded when you focus with eternal vision. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness? I found that the um, New Testament commentary kind of cleared this up the best. It says there's a brief allegory here that uh, you want to make sure you keep in context, that uh, the context is in laying up treasures, not on earth but in heaven. It says, The man whose eye is single, that is, it sees nothing double or with confused vision, represents him who lays up treasure in heaven. As the good eye fills the whole body with light or supplies to the whole body the advantage of light, so does the rule of life insisted on, in the context, enable the man to see in a proper light all matters of beauty and of enjoyment But he who lays up treasures on earth has the evil eye, or the eye whose vision is distorted, which sees all things incorrectly. The light in him that is in him is darkness, that is the rule by which his life is guided is false and pernicious. And this being the case, how great is the darkness in which he walks. So your ability to see clearly is clouded, is dark, when you're focusing on money, when you're focusing on treasure for yourself, the treasure that you keep. For yourself, because where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Philippians 3.20 says, We are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So, there are so many verses that talk about fixing our eyes on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4.18, We don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things we can, that cannot be seen, For the things we now see will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also said, I am the light of the world, and that we should follow him. So, and number three, amazing how fast time goes. Number three, you are rewarded when you focus on, or focus in eternal vocation. So, I was really searching for a B word, and it's kind of a fit. Not a perfect fit, but it is a B word. I got three B words in there. So, uh, you're rewarded when you focus on eternal vocation. You cannot, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. I mean, when you think about it, if you're putting money first, then money wants you. You need to work for money, save money, invest in money, think about money, keep money safe, money, money, money. Or you can serve God and trust God with your money. Uh, See, God uses your money as a resource to help you to accomplish His will as a resource for you to accomplish His purposes. Often the more faithful you are using money for God's purposes, the more faithful God is to give you more money to use for God's purposes. And you're not so caught up in money. It's not your master, it's a tool instead of your master, your slave, your, your boss, the thing that makes you uh, motivated. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't pursue a better career or look for a promotion or do what you can to make more money, but it shouldn't be your goal. You should trust God with your resources. You should trust God with your life. Philippians 4, 6 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need, and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So, John 10, 10 The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So, Satan can use money to totally, totally sidetrack you. Uh, God has a goal and a purpose for your life, and then you're going to pursue money instead. You're going to say, God, I can't afford it. God, I can't trust you. God, I won't step out in faith. Uh, someday when I have enough money in the bank, I will. Someday when, <laughs> when I have all my bills paid, I will. So, money, I don't know. It can be a tool to use to keep you entrapped. You know what's interesting to me and then it's time for communion so the guys can come forward is when companies host uh, finance companies or credit unions to come into your work to help you to buy a new car because they know that if you buy a new car that you'll have to work there more because now you're enslaved to all the more payments that you have. So it's kind of a win-win, they get to you know sell the car, the credit, the credit union credit company's happy. And the company is like, well, Bob's going to keep working here now because now he's got a big car payment. He really needs the hours. He really needs to keep working here. So pray about that. Think about that. Think of the way that you spend your resources. Think about the things that your heart has turned to, and we will have communion. So Jesus was getting ready for the Passover meal, and he told his disciples, "Uh, go here, go get this, and everything was the way that he had said. Uh, Jesus had provided. They just needed to go get it. Uh, Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer in Luke 22:15, 15. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. And the point of this is that when you're walking in God's will, God can provide everything that you need when you need it. So many times God shows up at the last minute, provides what you need so that you can accomplish the purposes that he has. Are you going to trust him? Are you going to put him first with your finances and with the passions of your heart, uh, with the, the gaze of your eyes? He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And we are remembering what Christ has done on this day, that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again, that by believing upon him that we can be saved. A great way to come into a right relationship with Christ if you never had is to ask to pray something like, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and to come into my life and save me. I acknowledge that you died and that you rose again and that you're offering me, offering me a personal relationship with you. Uh, pray something like that and Christ will come into your life. You'll be born again. You'll be assured heaven. Uh, the Holy Spirit will start to empower you uh, to help you understand Scripture, to guide and direct your life. You need to keep yielding to the Holy Spirit's direction in your life. And when we come to communion, this remembrance time, it's a great time to take a moment, take inventory of your life and say, am I pursuing God or am I off track? Am I walking with the Lord or am I walking other, the other way, walking away? Am there, is there sin in my life? I need to confess to him. Recommit your life to Christ. Now, some music will play. I'll come back up and pray. Uh, just hold the uh, cracker and we'll, I'll take it together in a minute. Having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is awesome because you can talk to Him about anything that you want, tell Him about anything that you need, things that concern you. Um, Part of my tire story is that in all that swapping, I ended up with three tires of one brand and one of another brand and tried to sell them and everybody's like, where's the fourth one? Why don't you have a fourth one? I didn't have a fourth one. And so I was praying about it and... I'm like, it's in my way, it's a distraction, would you just help me get rid of these tires? And so some guy from a different town was rolling through, and he called, and uh, he just bought them and they were gone. And you can talk to the Lord about anything, the things that you struggle with, the things that you don't understand, the things that you need help with, the financial resource that you need. Um, Sometimes he doesn't always provide exactly what you think you need, but he will get you through He Provides what you need, not always what you want. But personal relationship means walk daily with the Lord. Talk with Him. Share with Him what's going on. Read from His Word. Um, that's often how He speaks. Is most, uh, mostly how He speaks is through His Word. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank You so much that we can walk with You and talk with You. Lord, we thank You so much that personal relationship means that we can have an abiding relationship. That You love us and can help us through, help us to turn to you each day, help us to prioritize you in your word, to live for you, with our, and to prioritize you with our finances and our resources and our talents and our time. Lord Jesus, we take this and we eat. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So we're saved not by works that we do, but uh, through what Christ has already done. We have this opportunity to come to Christ and to walk in newness of life. And what a great thing. And we're supposed to share that, not just make converts, but make disciples. So would you now thank the Lord for all he's been doing in your life and commit your life to telling others about Jesus and making disciples, helping them be, to become fully devoted followers of Christ? So some music will play. I'll come back up in a minute. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you, we worship you, we adore you. Christmas time is coming, and you're not a baby in a manger, uh, weak and unable to help us, but you are the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You're working out your purposes and your plan. You're going to mightily return, you're going to make things right. You're going to do great things with us through all eternity. Lord, we pray that you would put on our heart what it is we're supposed to do to accomplish your true purposes for our life, that you would give us the trust and faith to step out and answer the call even when it seems risky. Lord, that you would show us how you've been faithful in the past and how you'll continue to be faithful. Lord, we pray that you would help us to prioritize you with our time and that we would spend time with you in your word, praying, um, learning, memorizing verses, sharing our faith, and prioritizing you each day. We take this and we drink. And the worship team will come up. And we'll kick off the Christmas season with our first Christmas song now. So, actually the first Sunday of Advent is next Sunday, but the Christmas season is beginning. Was
2: there anyone who didn't know Christmas was coming? I think I've been seeing things in the store since before Thanksgiving on Christmas. And Christmas is a time when kids are really excited, and that's because of the gifts that they think they're going to get, and they're dreaming about that list of gifts they have. And uh, it should be a time of excitement for us as adults, but sometimes it's stressful. I know I have 18 grandkids, so I think I'm just going to send each one a stick of gum. Um, we, We do experience stress. But if we think about what the greatest gift is, that Jesus was sent to us, not just to be a baby that we would celebrate and give gifts to one another, but so that he could be the sacrificial lamb that would die for us on the cross and give us that perfect gift of eternal life. Someday we're going to be in a place where there's no tears, there's no stress, there's no pain. And when you get to my age, pain is a daily thing. And, and that's going to be just wonderful, and that's the gift that he has promised to us. If I could get some people to come and take our morning offering this morning. I have a verse that's a life verse. It means a verse that I live by. And as I was reading this week... The verse before it is actually kind of funny, um, to me anyway, and the the life verse is 2 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 6 and 7, but in verse 5 it says, therefore I considered it necessary to urge you brothers to go ahead, to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised so it will be ready as a gift and not as extortion. And so we don't want to extort money from anybody, we want the gifts to be generous gifts and given freely, but... Then it goes on, the point is this, it says, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should uh, do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And I've tried to live that verse not just in my giving to the church, how I tip waitresses at restaurants because I know how hard they work, how I treat uh, even my uh, violin teacher, uh, when I trade stocks, I, have, I keep a small amount of money aside to trade stocks. And I've made a, a choice, and I've shared this before, that on the gains that I have from that, the government's going to get a third, I'm going to get a third, the church gets a third. And so I've decided how those windfalls will happen. Now, with my trading stocks, if I, if I lose, I eat the loss. Because I want to be generous towards God, I want to be generous towards people, I want generosity to be not just something I do, but something that I am. And let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that we have a generous church, that people give generously back to you. Lord, help us to experience the blessing of, Lord, reaping generously, Lord. Reaping generously in the number of souls who come to you, Lord, because we gave. Lord, take each gift and make it more than it could be if we held on to it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.